it was such a clear misalignment in where we put our efforts and where we you know pushed our activities and the ARR was coming out from somewhere completely different. So I think that was the most important exercise to do to really get the buy-in from both the management but also the company in general to like, okay, maybe we need to focus differently here. And that is a super easy exercise I think everyone can do at their company. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Adam Holmgren. Adam is currently head of demand generation at GetAccept, who have been on an incredible journey over the years, moving from sales-led to product-led, entering different categories before creating their own category, and growing their marketing team from a handful to over 30. So there's been lots and lots of demand gen tactics that Adam successfully used, and we're going to dig into them. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Adam. Yeah, great to be here. Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with demand generation. Yeah, it goes far back, of course. I've been in the B2B SaaS space for many years now. But currently, at least I'm working as a head of demand gen for a company called GetAccept. So heading up the demand team here and everything surrounding demand. But I also have a demand community called Driving Demand. So I've been working with demand gen both in companies, but also driving kind of my own thing, which is a great thing because I think I learn a lot every day. Awesome. The perfect person to talk to then. So we're here to talk about some demand gen tactics that you've successfully executed. But for context, would you mind telling us a little bit about GetAccept, what GetAccept does, how marketing is structured and the sort of general go-to-market strategy? Yeah, I think GetAccept is quite an interesting story. I joined one and a half years ago or something like that. My CMO joined approximately two, three years ago. And at that time, there were like three people in the marketing team. And now to date, we're almost 30. A lot has happened at GetAccept, which is really cool from a marketing perspective to be in that kind of a situation. But we are more or less like a digital sales room, we call it. It's a very new category that we have created together with G2, where it's all about connecting buyers and sellers to close more deals, basically. But the funny thing about GetAccept, we have been around since 2015. We started out from the Y Combinator program in the US, but we have been in a million different categories. And we can talk about that later. We have been in like the e-signature category, the contract management, the proposal software, the sales engagement. (laughs) We have never really found our space before. So now we have kind of then created a new category category. And there are a bunch of other companies that have entered that category as well, which is really cool because category creation is really fun and something I have never done before, at least. But yeah, and get except when we started was if we talk about, you know, go to market models was a super sales focused company, you know, the first year or so was probably only outbound sales, which I think it is for many new startups. From that, we kind of entered more of a marketing model where we became a lot more people in the marketing team, focused more on our inbound motion, trying to build up that. And then eventually we became more of a product-led company where it has been more about trying to get people to feel the value of the product and then take it further. And now I would say we are somewhere back in the between the marketing and product-led. So it's a really exciting time to be working here. I think that was the big purpose why I joined GetAccept because it was obvious that the company understood marketing and the importance of driving brand to also create that demand. And that's a hell of a journey by the sounds yeah. of it. If you're thinking <laughs> about all the noise that gets on the social channels these days, it sounds like you guys have been through it. So it's an amazing sort of story from the 
company side. So Tactic won then, and there's a fair bit of noise about this one at the moment, but it's moving from a sort of lead gen model to a demand gen model then. First of all, how did that sort of transition come about for you? And secondly, what advice would you give to anyone moving focus from lead gen to demand gen? Yeah, I think when I started at GetAccept, they were already certainly doing some parts more, more demand gen focus, but some of them were still, I would say, a bit more in terms of acquiring leads, right? Mm. Before I joined, they had already like ungated all their content and all of the things like that. So that was great for me, obviously. But one of the first things I did that I think has been like incremental to our success and our demand programs here, I think was to start looking at the funnel from like a demand gen perspective. So looking at our sales or marketing funnel, whatever you call it, all the way from lead, deal, pipeline, ARR, and actually splitting that up into what we call high intent. So where someone have actually raised their hand and said they're ready to talk to sales and then make one funnel for that and make one funnel for everything else. And for us, that was, you know, free accounts, webinars, maybe events and so on. And when we did that, it was so clear that most of the ARR was coming out from the high intent funnel, but most of the inbounds were coming into the low intent funnel, if you say. It was such a clear misalignment in where we put our efforts and where we you know, pushed our activities and the ERR was coming out from somewhere completely different. So I think that was the most important exercise to do to really get the buy-in from both the management but also the company in general to like, okay, maybe we need to focus differently here. And that is a super easy exercise I think everyone can do at their company. Like how much is actually coming into your high intent funnel and how much are coming into the more low intent funnel. Mm. So I think many companies have a similar story. Yeah, you hear about a lot of companies paying a lot on Google ads and paid social ads, getting people to download content, fill out forms that never ever become a customer. Yeah. So I guess that's what you're talking about there, really. You're talking about, okay, well, whichever way they sort of come to us, do they actually end up being a paying customer, which is ultimately what you want and then you can sort of focus the efforts there so chris walker talks a lot about this doesn't he yeah absolutely and i think one of the biggest issues that i see i did a poll a couple of months ago where i asked marketers how much money they spent on search versus Mm. social as an example because often we view paid search or google or bing or all of those we see that as more of a capture demand tactic where we are trying Mm. to harness the existing demand and try to get them to take action and then we have the more social part where we're actually trying to build our brand and build Mm. that demand and most companies in that kind of poll answer that they put like 80 90 percent plus into this capture part and then Mm. very little budget into the more social the brand part and i think that says so much as well we're so eager to put money into where we can see revenue coming out from the other end but maybe they heard about us from the first time somewhere else maybe they saw us in a social ad and then they Mm. decided to google for our name right so i think Mm. that's such an important distinction to make yeah and it's a mindset shift isn't it as well because you've got ceos and leadership teams who are so used to seeing mqls sql seeing that funnel sort of working through they feel a little bit more comfortable with that rather than you thinking about let's just pay stuff not gate it let's get it in front of our audience and let's start to build awareness of who we are as a business so that at some point in that journey their journey of thinking about a solution like ours when they think actually i need it they're thinking of get accept rather than doing a google search and then getting a list of six different companies and then sort of pitching them against each other so yeah i would say that that is one of the more strategic shifts that we have made mm. at get accept it's like moving away because we were really heavy on the paid search part before moving away a bit from that and getting into the more 
how can we build our brand on social and then eventually that will end up in search, especially budget wise. Yeah. And we are actually doing quite an interesting test right now in one of our markets, like cutting paid search completely just to see if it matters right <laughs> i've been wanting to do that for so many years and finally <laughs> i was allowed to so i'm really excited to see because i really believe that a lot of the revenue that comes through paid search will come in anyways yeah. you know we are seeing organically right it will be really fun to see the results you'll have to come back on and tell us about them that sounds really interesting i'm hoping it will uh, confirm my hypothesis yeah indeed and what sort of metrics are you tracking now then now you've kind of shifted that sort of model a bit yeah obviously we still have mqls mm. in the mix like it's a good early indicator of something coming in right but we obsess more over high intent mqls obviously so mqls coming from people that have raised their hand either a demo mm. request or a contact form then we look into deals. So of those, what are the percentages that we've actually created our first mm. meeting towards? Mm. And from that, those meetings, how much is the pipeline worth? That is maybe the most accurate way we can forecast how much revenue will be closed down the line. We have an approximate sales cycle of you know one month or so, give or take. Mm. Mm. You know, if we have a pipeline built up this month and we are usually closing, I don't know, say 40, 50%, then we mm. should see this in the coming month. So I think mm. that is pretty powerful. Mm. And it has been pretty clear, like from when I started, we had just launched our free account model, freemium, and like our leads went through the roof, right? But we didn't really see that come out on the other end. It didn't really mm. turn into revenue. And now I would say that the situation we have, we probably have the lowest MQL volume we've had since maybe two years, but we have the highest high intent volume and we have the highest pipeline. And it has taken a long time to get there. I think that's so important as well. It takes time. Yeah. And it has not all been rainbows and sunshine. I can imagine. Now, you talked about this earlier, and, and I've done a little bit of research into sort of get accept myself. But when you look at elements of your solution, like you were saying, it does sit in a very, very competitive category. Yeah. So it's interesting that sort of G2 created a new category for you. And this sort of leads on to sort of tactic two, which is category creation. Yeah. How did that come about for you guys? What benefits does it give you? And how could other marketers do the same? I think that the founders of GetAccept, there are four founders, I think they have always felt that they didn't really fit into any category. Mm. But obviously, as a new solution, as a startup, you don't have the possibility to create a category, right? It's not yeah. possible. And I think that was something that was important when we created a category with G2, that we needed also other players. Mm. You know, it's not a category if it's just us. And now we are a bunch of different players battling it out together. And I think that's so important with category creation. It's like, I think the best way to grow a category is through having a lot of competitors. You know, if we were on our own, it would be impossible to build that category almost. It would take so much time, money, effort. But if we are, you know, if already existing bigger brands are stepping into the space, that's a way to really hockey stack that category mm. creation. So I would say for us now, our category has kind of always been the same. We have been talking about, you know, digital sales rooms and things like that before, but it hasn't had any substance in the way that people haven't really understood it. Mm. So now it's up there and now it's just up to us and all the other companies there to mm. educate the market about it. And is that something that's driven by G2 then, or is that something driven by you collectively with your competitors? I think initially it was driven by us. Mm. We have wanted to do that for a long time. Then eventually G2 felt that it was the right time based on there were other players in the space also 
also. Yeah. So I think about Drift when I think about sort of category creation. They've talked a lot about it, haven't they? Yeah. So they are also moving into this space. Now, are they? So okay. It's, uh, <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, indeed. Well, to have them along, there's some competition, that's for sure. Mm. Cool. Tactic three then is account-based marketing. And you talked a little bit about your sales model, sales-driven, product-led, and now a sort of mix of both. And this is a sort of common theme for a lot of SaaS businesses. They start selling to sort of SMBs, they raise some money, and then they want to move more into that sort of mid-market or enterprise space. How have you sort of moved into ABM? What's your journey been like? And how is it sort of working for you as you sort of sell into those bigger companies? Yeah, I would say we are still pretty new doing ABM, but Mm. we have done a few iterations now learning. I would say our main ICP obviously is SMBs. That's where we bring the most value. I don't think we will enter like the enterprise segment super hard anytime soon. Mm. But as you're saying, everyone is always trying to move up market a little bit, right, to increase ACV and so on. Mm. We are doing that as well, but more towards the high SMBs, the mid-markets. That's where we can be pretty spot on. And that is also where we have been starting to dabble a bit with the ABM. We have been very focused, I would say, geographically with our ABM. I would say one of the few mistakes we did initially when we started were that we have our demand gen activities on one end, we have our ABM activities on one end, but to be honest, they didn't differ that much. We had, you know, way too many companies to even call it an ABM program, right? So we mm. now it's more like, how can we identify our top 20 targets, let's say in the UK, that we want to, you know, acquire in the coming one, two, three years. I think that's so important. Like, I think we had too much of a short-term mindset in the beginning, like more of a lead-gen approach, right? So mm. now it's more about how can we then take this list of, say, 20 companies we want to get in long-term, and how can we move towards them in a bunch of different angles, not just running ads towards them, right? How can we be different? How can we have dinners together? Because I think that's so important. We want to create value for them so that we become top of mind eventually. We won't see revenue coming in from our ABM programs this year if we have started this this year. But maybe next year we will Mm. be there when they kind of experience the program. So I think that's the development for us has been like it's more of a brand awareness play and, you know, staying top of mind with our target accounts. And then demand gen, of course, is more of a volume play than the ABM, of course. Yeah. And on the ABM side, when you were selecting those 20 companies, were you looking at them on sort of industries? Were you looking at them on size? How were you sort of pulling those 20 together? Yeah, we definitely looked at what type of company, what type of role are driving the most revenue for us historically? Like, what are the types of companies? What are the types of sizes? What are the types of roles we want to engage with to drive the highest possible revenue that we can? So that was definitely what we did when we looked into this. And then we decided on, okay, we see one industry here, we're going to go for that because it's like, we can't talk about several industries at once. No. And that was also a mistake in the first round. We put a bunch of different industries and it became a mess. Um, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? So do you tend to do sort of one-to-one or one-to-few type stuff? I would say one-to-few. Yeah. You know, it's a resource question always, I feel like. Mm. I would ideally like to do it more one-to-one because then it would be more targeted and then it would be more making specific send out physical send outs to a specific company with things they could get engaged with mm. i know those are the things we would like to do more but it's always a resource question of course it, it always is and do you tend to get mm. your demand gen people to do both then or do you tend to hire people into abm specific roles we actually took a person from the demand team and transformed that role into more of an abm role yeah so still in the demand team but more focusing on these singular efforts 
Yeah, perfect. Makes sense. Mm. Okay, the next tactic then is community building. It's something that you've touched on earlier, something you've successfully implemented. Now, I guess this isn't for every business out there, but how did that come about for you? Because community building is quite unique and quite specific. And what does that allow you to do then from building this community? Yeah, I can talk about it from two different perspectives, like how we do it at GetAccept. And then I can also talk about my experience from building my own marketing community, because I did it mostly to learn <laughs> and then to use it at GetAccept. That was my like initial. And I really <laughs> think something I've learned is like, how important it is to find your like niche because there are so many communities out there especially in the sales and marketing space right so there are many huge ones i think only just a couple of years ago there were very few communities but few that were super large the pavilion revenues all of mm. those mm. and now we're seeing more niche communities coming out like geographically niched but also topic niched that's why i created obviously a demandian community for europe so for B2B marketers, because I felt that it didn't exist. It was mostly like US-based, US-focused, US-centric, as it tend to be, right? So mm. I think that's what we will see popping up a lot more, especially companies coming out from Europe. I think that is very relevant to like, okay, we want to start a sales community. Maybe we don't focus on the world at once. Maybe we start in our first geographical or biggest market because it's easier to you know, build an audience there. Mm. And something I've also noticed in this marketing community I'm running is like we are approximately, I don't know, 450, 500 members now. But there are so many, and Chris Walker talks about this dark social a lot, of course, but there are so many recommendations of tools and so many recommendations of things that will never end up in any attribution software or anything but they probably have a big big effect on people's minds and what they eventually go with mm. trust yeah it's trust from your like mm. peers in a private network i feel mm. that is so powerful mm. and that is also maybe a harder thing when you build a community as a company i think it's harder to build a trust as a company than if you're an individual person, because I'm just a demand marketer as they are. So I think that's going to grow a lot, like niche communities from individuals. I think that is really, yeah. And how does GetAccept use their community then? A lot of it has to do with, of course, engaging. Our audience is mainly, you know, sales leaders and our users are mainly, you know, account executives. So obviously we want to engage with our audience as much as possible. We don't actually have like a Slack community or anything like that. It's more trying to be where our audience is in already existing communities, mm. I would say. Mm. Mm. Sales confidence is an excellent example in the UK as an example where we are are a big part of that. It's like an event-driven community for salespeople. So we're more trying to be part of communities or we're trying to empower our employees to be part of those communities. Because it's like we as a company, we need to have our experts, like our salespeople, they need to be part of it because they want to. Not yes. because GetAccept wants to. And I think that's important also. And it's powerful because then they can talk about actually their jobs and people can relate yeah. to them and how they ultimately then use lots of different solutions, but including GetAccept solutions. It kind of makes sense. Okay, cool then. A lot of the time when we think about sort of growth generally, and we're obviously here to talk about these sort of demand gen tactics, we think about all these sort of stuff around strategies, tactics, playbooks, tools, the kind of list goes on really. But none mm. of this would be possible without a great team in place. Um, and yep. as you touched on right at the start, the marketing team at GetAccept has exploded over the last few years. So 
this is the last tactic, I guess, is building a great marketing team. Yeah. How do you go about sort of stretching your team there? How have you built the team to help GetAccept achieve its goals over the years then? Yeah, GetAccept is an interesting journey, of course. We are almost 30 people now, so we are a bunch of different sub-teams. Mm. I lead the demand team in Europe, where obviously our OKRs, our KPIs are always to drive as much revenue and drive as much growth as possible. And in my team, we have you know, people responsible for paid search, paid social, ABM, as I told you before, but also certain regional markets where we want to focus a bit extra. France, as an example, where we really feel like we want to grow as much as possible. That is one team. We have our own demand team in the US. We have divided them because they are very different markets in a way. And the US is also insanely competitive. <laughs> so we have divided those in that way. We'll see if that keeps on forever. But right now, that's how it is. Mm. And then in the grander marketing team, then we have what we call our brand and bus team. It's the designers really that focuses on building the brand and helping out with all of them. So we work a lot with them, of course, with everything we do in trying to create our campaigns and so on. We have a content team, same there. We work extremely close, content, brand, and demand. It's like one sort of clockwork, really, to create campaigns, obviously. Mm. We have a web team that handles everything surrounding the web, everything surrounding marketing ops, making sure that's all set. I would say that's the newest team that we have is the product marketing team which has grown a lot recently, which I think is super important because that's really, you know, making sure that we are aligned with where our product are going. Mm. So I think that's where we'll see the biggest development for us in the coming months or years. Then we also have a partner team, a partner marketing team, because we integrate with all of the big CRMs, right? So our biggest partners are obviously like Salesforce and HubSpot mm. and all of mm. those, because that's where a lot of our customers come from. So it's super important for us to have good relationships with them mm. and so on. Awesome. And there are so many companies hiring product marketers at the moment. So uh, it's the yeah. kind of, not the new thing, but do you know what I mean? A lot of companies yeah. are starting to understand the value of product marketers. You touched on a little bit there. I mean, what sort of value are you seeing from sort of hiring them specifically? Because they get a lot more orientated on the sort of voice of the customer, don't they? So it's going to trickle through into the sort of impact of the stuff that you're perhaps creating. Yeah, I think especially like understanding the customer, but also understanding the product vision and where we're going and kind of transcribing that into a messaging and a story that we can take from demand and then, mm. you know, distribute mm. as well as possible. I think that's so important. Also mm. making sure like that, our story is consistent across channels, across where we're seen, because that's a super hard thing to do. And I think that's a really powerful thing with product marketing, if they can take that perspective. Perfect. So last question then, if you were hiring a demand gen marketer into your team today, then what sort of skills and attributes would you look for? I think for me, the most important skill, and one of the reasons why I think I have climbed my way in demand gen is creativity. I really think a good demand person is probably more of a generalist you're a very creative person, you know some design, you can write copy. No, you don't have to be the best on all of that, but you have to be able to create. I think that's important. You have to be able to create because otherwise it doesn't work with you just sending a brief to your content or brand team. It's like you have to be able to create and iterate on that. And obviously, you know, creative together with certain data and analytics skill set is probably ideal. But I think where people sometimes maybe lack is the more creative part, because that's really where we stand out. If you are a really creative and good marketer at the creation part, that's really where we can make a difference. So I would say that. 
a really hard skill set to get that yeah, isn't that creativity is sure. side i mean it's you know a lot of people sort of emulate other businesses don't they and sort of yeah. not steal but use other people's tactics and stuff so the creativity and of course brand now is so much more important for b2b companies yeah exactly than it was years back so that creativity angle makes total sense look adam it's been fantastic talking to you get accept yeah. sound like they've been on an amazing journey you know we've covered a lot of ground really here in a fairly short podcast so if anybody wants to sort of reach out to you and sort of ask you any questions on some of the tactics that we talked about today in more detail and what's the best way of them doing that yeah the best way is always to reach out on linkedin i'm trying to be very active there so reach out on linkedin awesome adam you're an absolute star thank you very much thank you so that's it for another episode of the market mentors podcast thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward until next time